0: The emergence of COVID-19 has forced the legal industry to rapidly undergo a fundamental transformation. I'm Jack Newton, CEO and co-founder of Clio, the world's leading cloud-based legal software provider. In each episode of Daily Matters, we'll explore what this new normal means for law firms, how legal professionals can find success while working remotely, and how lawyers can best serve their clients during this unprecedented situation. Today we welcome Adriana Lenares to the show. Adriana is a longtime friend and also the president of Law Tech Partners, the technology and practice management advisor with the San Diego Bar Association, and a legal tech consultant with the Florida Bar Association. Adriana is also a frequent speaker at national technology conferences and a regular contributor to legal blogs, publications and podcasts. Adriana, thanks so much for joining us.
1: Thanks for having me, Jack, I'm very honored.
0: It, well, thank you for that, and uh, we're we're thrilled to have you on the show. It's been a long time since I've since I've seen you. It's great to see you uh, in person, or at least as close as we'll get. I know. Get over, I feel like we used to Zoom see here. each other
1: all the time. I feel like we used to see each other all the time at conferences and stuff. And then now it's just been well. Cleocon was the last time I saw you, but still, that's been a long time for us. I feel like we see it's, each it's other. It's been a long
0: time, times. and this pandemic is not helping anything. But uh, no. I'll, I'll take I'll take this. This is great. And, Me too. Uh, First and foremost, Adriana, how are you and your family, family doing? How are things in Florida?
1: Thankfully for me, far and wide in all my circles and I have lots of them, um, everybody's healthy and happy, sane and sanitized, as I've been saying like,
0: just, <laughs> I like that.
1: We're doing okay and um, you know I spent a lot of time in New Orleans where we were for the first part of the pandemic. so let's see I mean I feel like we are hitting all the hot spots. We were in LA and because I work for the San Diego County Bar and then didn't right. have a place in LA. so we left LA on March 18th thinking, I do not want to get stuck in California. Um, I like California, but it's cold, costly and crowded, as I always yes. say. So we have done on an airplane much earlier than expected and went to New Orleans and we're there for about 38 days. And um, that's a really, you know, And New, or- just...
0: New Orleans was hit quite hard. Uh, you, and, you did yeah. not find any reprieve from COVID-19 <laughs> in, in New Orleans, did you?
1: No, and um, you know they canceled all the fun as I say like fun world fun has been canceled yes and that's really hard for New Orleans to take Um, but they canceled St. Patrick's Day Parade and everything got closed pretty early on March uh, 13th or 14th I think stuff shut down but we were in LA so then we ended up coming back and um, it was fine what I experience though there, which is just people following the rules, everyone wearing masks, everybody like doing the best that they could, ordering from our favorite restaurants, which super quick side story, we were just amazed at how tiny our bill is at some of our favorite restaurants in New Orleans when we aren't drinking there.
0: Right, right. <laughs> We'd be
1: like, wow, that's all this cost to eat here? <laughs> this is Just amazing. the
0: food is relatively food. affordable. <laughs>
1: That's great, so then got it needed a change of scenery, so we rented a car and drove to Florida, which is where I am now, as you can see, and it's very different here. People have no regard, they just don't care. there's no masks, they're just crowding and partying, and it's just it's really offensive actually, so
0: right, so, so you've seen a real spectrum in terms of yeah. what the the response has been, and uh, for, number one, glad to hear you and the the family are uh are well. Um, I'm, I'm curious through, through this, this journey you've taken over the last couple of months, what have you found to be front of mind for you?
1: Um, it's a couple of things. The, the first one is, and I don't know if you appreciate this, Jack, but I've really enjoyed being still. Yes. Right. Yep. Like, I've
0: really enjoyed not traveling as much more than I thought I would.
1: And I love to travel. And I love getting on airplanes and I love going to hotels and I love, I love to travel. And I, and I thought, man, I'm going to lose my mind if I have to stay in one place for two weeks. But it turns out that two weeks became three weeks, three weeks became four. And I was actually really happy. So um, for that, I made actually, and I don't know how long this will last. Of course, it's going to last now because I have to, but I've really realized that not only can I do my work sitting still unless I want to all my clients can too and that's been another really interesting which I'm sure we've all experienced is when it first happened it was a scramble and I had two worlds that I was living in professionally so first of all I'm not married I don't have kids my life is very simple I'm used to working from home I'm a solo practitioner and by that I don't mean it in the legal world legal sense because I'm not a lawyer but um, I'm used to it and my boyfriend lives with me, He's, he is a lawyer actually, and we we're, were just used to it. So having to s- work from home was not a big deal. Having remote meetings was not a big deal. But on the other side of the world, which is my clients, I had two experiences. All of my clients from LaTeX partners whom I have helped move to the cloud, which is basically all I've done for the past 10 years, much of that thanks to Clio, of course, um, just making it easy. They were all pretty fine, you know. My mm-hmm. my my clients themselves didn't require a lot of hand holding. Most of them were in the cloud already. A lot of them come to me because they want that lifestyle where they can work from home, work while mm-hmm. they travel, blah blah blah. But my San Diego County bar members, that was different. Um, they freaked out. <laughs> Um, So I was so I helped them in a different way. And I guess I can explain real quick. I work half of my time for the San Diego County Bar Association as their technology and practice management advisor, which is a pretty cool gig because I don't live in California. (laughs) And they hired me about two actually exactly two years ago under you know the the conditions that i would come to the office one week out of every month and other than that i just remote meet with members so for that you know it's been a different angle because i get those members that come in more of a i have this one problem help me fix it and now all of a sudden it was like oh my god how do we work from home i was a little surprised at how many still had servers which a lot of law firms still have servers and I'm not saying. Yeah, lots
0: of on-prem technology. Absolutely. Yeah.
1: Far too many, if you ask me, but it was funny for me how many of those I had to face because.
0: (laughs) Right. So, so interesting. If I, if I kind of like take what you're you're articulating here on one side of your professional life, you run law tech partners where you've got this almost self-selected group of, of people that you work with that are a bit call it technology forward. Yep. They've reached out to you to work with them to help implement technologies. And you're frequently, if not always, these days implementing cloud-based technologies. So for for those that that half of your life, the yep. transition to COVID-19 was simple. And like it they, was. They, they didn't miss a beat. And and the other half of your your life is this uh, San Diego County Bar Association role as the technology and practice management advisor where you're seeing uh, a much more you know, broad based and maybe representative view of what lawyers are facing, yeah. which is some have adopted technology, some have adopted cloud technology, some have adopted on-prem technology, and some I'm sure have adopted no technology and, and are trying to transition pen and paper based systems to uh, a yeah. work from home distributed environment. And there you're seeing real struggles in, in that yeah. role. Interesting.
1: Yeah, it was, it was interesting and super stressful. I mean, you know, it was, and a lot of it is really talking them down off the ledge. You know, like I had one attorney who said, my practice is going to close. And I said, you're not a doctor. Okay. You don't need to touch your clients. You don't need to actually examine them physically. Your practice is not going to close. You know, we can do this. Um, you just have to modernize a little bit. Still on a server. So you had to figure that out. Um but, yeah, it was really that was probably the only one that was so extreme that they really panicked, but it was early on, and then they they're fine today, by the way
0: good. they didn't close good. their
1: practice. I haven't heard of so, anyone yet having to close their practice
0: that that's great and and that's you know I, I think the silver lining in this is people are finding a way of navigating the the crisis and making really rapid transitions to uh, the cloud and and other ways of of changing the way they work to kind of adapt and and I'm I'm curious if you look at, at some of what you've seen over, you know, it's hard to believe, but it, we've been in the the thick of this for close to two months now. Mm-hmm. If, if you look at some of the patterns you've seen and and maybe some of the recommendations you might make to, to law firms that, you know, I'm, I'm sure many of the listeners to this podcast feel like they're still struggling, aren't yeah. sure how to transition to this new world of, of being cloud-based and, and also this new world of, managing their law firm remotely, managing their their law firm with a distributed work from home team, working with clients that are are similarly isolated uh and working from home. Walk us through what some of your your recommendations and high-level takeaways as well in terms of what you've seen on the, the front lines have been.
1: Um I think probably the the best thing I could did for a lot of them was most of them, actually, it's very rare for me now to even meet a law firm that isn't subscribed to Office 365. Even yep. if they're G Suite users, like me, so I'm—I call myself bi BY tech. I'm a Mac and I'm a PC and I'm <laughs> yeah. G Suite and I'm a, and I'm Microsoft. So even if they were G Suite users, they still subscribed to Office 365. Right. So getting them onto Teams was, which they didn't even know they had, right? Because they just you pay for the service and you don't really have an IT person that says, Hey, by the way, you've got all these amazing tools that you're paying for.
0: So I'm going to take a, a, an explain it like I'm five approach to this, Adriana, tell me what office 365 is and tell me what, what teams is. That doesn't sound like word or Excel or any of the tools I'm used to, to hearing about.
1: Yeah. So office 365 has been confusing for people. Um, It was, it's nothing more than a subscription based way to pay for Microsoft's services and tools and for most lawyers all they care about is outlook and word maybe excel and a little bit of powerpoint sometimes so um, in the old days we would pay annually for that or you would pay once and then when there was Mm -hmm. an upgrade you'd pay again so because the whole world is moving to subscription-based including me by the way you know like i'm even going to change my business model um you can pay a very nominal amount, $8. If you're a true solo and you don't need exchange services, so you don't need to share your calendars and share your contacts Mm -hmm. with someone else, $8 a month. And then if you're a little bigger and you need exchange, which means share my calendar, share my contacts, then you're gonna pay 12 per person. So it's per
0: person. Still not a lot.
1: Look, I tell lawyers, you can run your practice for $125 a head Mm -hmm. and have a completely modern, secure mobile practice with all the critical services that you need. So of that 125 that I usually quote, like when I do the breakdown, which if you remind me in a second, I'll do it because I think it's very helpful for people to hear. That's a a 12 bucks. And with it, you get not only those core Microsoft services that we just described, but they have a set of tools that are incredible. They have a booking service. They've got um, automated workflows like Zapier. It's built in, albeit super more complex i have to admit it's much harder than zapier and then you get teams which is um microsoft's answer to slack so it's a collaboration tool that's heavily integrated with office and everyone who's already subscribed to your Microsoft Office subscription, has access to Teams, it's an app like anything else. It's, I mean, you can think of it, if you want another example, if you haven't seen Teams and you haven't seen Slack, it's like Skype on steroids, which you also okay. get, by the way. With Office okay. 365, you get Skype for business. So um, Teams was a way for firms to quickly be able to see who's online, who's working. It shows you status. You can chat. They can create channels based on, like, let's say they had a marketing department. And most of my clients are not big, big firms, but they might have one or two people who do marketing or the attorney channel or the secretary's channel. Um, I don't encourage channels per matter. Let's not go crazy. What a practice management system is for people. It's not overdo it here. Um, So just getting them to turn on Teams, which basically, you know, install it and log in was a pretty quick and easy way to get them up and running, at least being able to communicate easily from home. I think what came as sort of a, oh my God, how do we do this, is dealing with documents. Because at the office, whether they had a server or not, you know, the documents are mostly accessed on their computers, or they would save stuff on their desktops, or there'd be stuff saved um, on a network attached storage device or something. So now, you know, I had one attorney who called and said, what do I do with my secretary? She's working from home. said, well, you've got to set some expectations, you know, like, First of all, if she's going to be downloading and working on documents on her home computer, is it the same computer her kid's going to get on? Do you want your clients, you know, documents being on your their home computer? So that's actually something we really had to deal with pretty quickly. Yep. Um, for some of them, the easiest answer to that was, guess what? Office 365 and using Word Online, which Word Online is great today. It does 90% of what Word the app does. So I, I guess the long answer to your short question is a lot of times they already own and have the tools that they can use, but don't realize it. So I was pretty happy that a lot of times I didn't have to say, well, you have to go buy this. Actually, I never said that once.
0: Um, You've already got it.
1: You've got it. Another example is people who are calling and saying, I don't know, should I get DocuSign, HelloSign, or E-Sign? I said, well, you're paying for Adobe Acrobat? It's built in. What? Adobe Acrobat does e-signatures? Yes. So <laughs> Interesting, um, yeah. Yeah, I think there was a lot of moments of aha that they had and I was glad. So that's that Tech Stack that I was going to tell you about that should cost about $125 a month.
0: Yeah, walk us through that.
1: Office 365, $12 yep. a month. Adobe Acrobat DC, $15 a month. Yeah. Clio, my favorite practice management program, or you know, Obviously, Clio's my favorite, and it has been for a long time, but I will tell them any practice management, just get one, about $50 a month. Yep. I'm a hardcore militant pusher of sophisticated document and email management, so one of your integration partners is NetDocuments, and I love NetDocs, so that's about $50 a month. Right there, those are my four core services that every law firm should have. Acrobat, Office practice management program uh, and net documents. And then, you know, with Clio, because um, it integrates with so many programs, it's just a no brainer.
0: Right, yeah, and and I'll I'll mention just as an aside, we we do integrate very strongly with NetDocs, and we have uh, a great integration with uh, Office 365 Mm -hmm. as well. And I, I think your comment around Office 365, um, and we actually have some some stuff cooking with Microsoft Teams, which uh, we'll be really excited to talk about in the future. But I, w- I want to spend a minute on Microsoft Teams because it, whether it's Teams or whether it's Slack, I, I think that one of the things that many law firms are are finding challenging is missing what I call the you know the water cooler conversations sure. or the ch- the chair swivel conversations where yeah. you can just you know, swivel over to the person next to you and have a little bit of collaboration and 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 move something down the line. And that's one of the things I think we miss most acutely in this work from home environment. And I'm curious what your just share a little bit about some of the practical aspects of how you've seen Microsoft Teams or Slack as the case might be plug yeah. into this this new way of working.
1: Um I think one of the the best things that a couple of firms did that I worked with is setting three town hall meetings every day, just to sort of be able to to do that, which is, okay, what's everybody got cooking this morning, so they'd meet at 8.30 or 9. And then um, meet again, maybe at lunch, and then at the end of the day. So I think that's really helpful if you can schedule those group meetings to discuss things. But then also too, um, one of the cool things about teams is that if your calendar, your calendar, your outlook calendar will be connected to it and it shows your status. So if an attorney has an appointment or a call and the time is blocked out on their calendar, it automatically shows them as busy with a little red dot so that someone else knows they're in a meeting or unavailable. So I think that's no different than, you know, looking over and seeing someone's on the phone and you can't ask them a question. So that status, um, setting is really helpful in teams or in Slack um, or in Skype, you know, some firms just went with Skype because they just wanted to be able to chat and shoot off messages to each other. Mm -hmm. So um, yeah, I think that that's critical Um, and just being able to ping each other questions, which by the way, reduces emails. So another benefit of having done this is some of them are so surprised how many fewer emails they're getting now because sometimes we send emails for really stupid reasons or an email that just says, thanks, guess what? You don't ever need to send me an email that just says, thanks. <laughs>
0: right, right.
1: I know you're thankful. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Duly so, noted.
1: <laughs> um, I interviewed, yeah. <laughs> well, I welcome any email from you, Jack. All right. um, one of my clients that I actually interviewed for my podcast, um, they're a big firm, 50 users, Clio Plus Net Documents. Um, the big, one of the bigger firms in South Florida He's so interesting because my favorite thing that he said was they, they sent everyone home to work and they had to rush out and buy about 12 laptops for people who actually, let me back up what they did before everyone went home. Is they sent out a survey. What do you have at home for a computer? Who hmm. uses your computer? How old is it? Cause if it had like windows seven on it, you know, ugh. so they sent out a survey then they got the survey back and whoever needed a laptop, They must have scrounged and scoured around the South Florida where there aren't a ton of Best Buys and Office Depots. And I mean the west side of South Florida. Um, But they did. They bought about 12 laptops. They set them all up. They installed the Clio components. They installed NetDocs components. And then all they needed was Wi-Fi. They dispersed those, sent people home with those. Um, Oh, so he, first of all, that was a very cool, smart thing that they did. I had two firms that did that. Um, Then you know, he was kind of worried, as everyone was, how productive would we be working from home? Yeah. So he tells a story that one of his biggest, old, old, most elder statesmen of the firm was just thinking the whole, everything's going to go to hell in a handbasket. That guy ended up emailing David Holmes, is this a managing partner's name, saying, this is amazing. You're right. I am more productive at home. And so this attorney actually works from home regularly because he's more productive with less interruptions. So he started to get some positive feedback. And my favorite thing that he said was, you know, when this is all over and we all go back to work, if someone comes to me and says, hey, can I work from home tomorrow? I can be more productive. I'm inclined to believe that they're going to be. Yeah. So I love that. I just think that's.
0: I, I, I think it's great. And it's, it's one of the, I think, most eye-opening things that this whole crisis will have brought to the to the legal spaces is, is, is something I think many technology companies and other industries had started adopting, even though it wasn't widespread by any sense, but we we've heard about, you know, companies like you, you mentioned Zapier, for example, Zapier is a fully distributed, mm-hmm. uh, remote work from home team globally. Uh, and I think it's, it's 500 plus employees and they've, they've figured out how to, how to do that. There's not many law firms that have figured out how to do that, but I right. think, And I've talked to several uh, firm owners over the the course of the last two months. And it's been a hugely eye-opening experience for them where they've commented that I I thought productivity would fall through the floor. I thought that people would struggle working from home. I thought uh, all these negative things would happen in a work-from-home environment. And they've seen the opposite. And there's uh, a similar reaction, I think, on the client side also where many clients are commenting, and I've heard yeah. this from the front lines as well, that my lawyer is more available, more yeah. responsive in less meetings, um, and and frankly, you know, more accessible with a quick Zoom call versus, you know, going to their office for an in-person meeting. I've actually preferred interacting with them when they've been work from home as well. So it's it, I think it's going to be really interesting to see where does the pendulum fall back to when things return to quote unquote normal at some point in the coming months, uh, whether we'll see this permanent change and I believe we will uh, yeah. a permanent change in how law firms think about work from home and distributed environments. And for me, an interesting question is, do we see an evolution toward, you know, the law office itself being more of a, a storefront or a showroom, you know, as, as car dealerships are and, and having, you know, all the back office, so to speak, uh, you know, in a distributed work from home way. And and that's obviously a more cost-effective model and maybe even a more oh, totally. productive model.
1: And and the lifestyle benefits, right? Right. Um, I mean, especially if you're a law firm who's competing against another law firm and you've got this A plus legal assistant or associate or even partner, or you're trying to get a, a lateral partner and be able to say, by the way, we offer work from home, man, that's a plus. What? who wouldn't want that as a benefit if all things are equal? Um, I'm glad you brought up the clients because that was something I was hoping we would be able to talk about yeah. because I think one of the, so one of the things I do a lot of is help attorneys start solo practices. And, and what's interesting about that is that's probably at the San Diego County bar, probably eighty percent of my interactions with members and they have ten thousand members. It's a it's bigger than some state bars, right? Yeah, that's um, huge. A lot of them are starting solo practices and they are either brand new lawyers or they are big law refugees or they were maybe with a boutique or a mid-sized firm and they decided to go out on their own. I swear the first question they always ask me is, what are my clients gonna think? Mm-hmm. Do I need a fancy office? And I have always said, your clients do not care where you are or where you work, as long as you deliver them value and you deliver them their legal services Mm -hmm. and their legal documents. They don't care where you are. Of course, they never believe me because one, I'm not a lawyer um, who's done it, but I am a potential client, right? So... um, that's been something that I've really enjoyed yeah. hearing the success stories is, and I, and I tell this story about my, my boyfriend all the time. He He's an example. He was with a boutique firm, went out on his own and was worried. And this was five years ago, you know, before COVID. Um, but the story goes that I always said to him, your clients aren't going to care. You don't have to hide where you are. They don't know if you're sitting in your office in Santa Monica or, you know, on Frenchman Street. And one day he was talking to his biggest client who is a big client, a big deal. And, um, they're, they're friendly enough. So, you know, the client might occasionally say, so where are you? And he would say, well, this time the client said, okay, great. So where are you? And he says, well, I'm in new Orleans this week. And the client says, I don't care where you are. Where are you with my document?
0: Right, right.
1: (laughs) And, uh, that validated everything for him. I mean, that was just the end of, worrying about it and just believing that if you do the things like you've said which is respond in a timely way be um accessible and take care of business the client they don't care and if they do maybe that's not a client you want
0: that's it and and i i think you know i've spent a lot of time talking to to clients listening to clients over the course the last couple years you know obviously uh, I just wrote a book about it called the the, the client-centered law firm. And, and one of my big takeaways, I did. And one of the one of the big takeaways from that was, um, and we've seen this in the Clio Legal Trends Report data as well, by the way, clients care about responsiveness. Clients care about um, you being available to them when they need you. And they really don't care about the, the particulars of how you do that. And I, I think there's very, very few clients that would prioritize what kind of physical location you're working out of over right. your ability to be responsive. And, and to the lawyers thinking about making that big plunge, it's really a matter of thinking about how do you, like, just realize most clients would take your, your cell phone number and uh, the accessibility of a video call over a fancy office with a marble lobby. You know, any that, that, that any day of the week. And, and in day. fact, I, I listened to a recent Recode podcast with Kara Swisher where she was interviewing uh, a really high profile Silicon Valley VC. Um, and and he, he described working with Latham Watkins, one of the big firms in the Valley. And um, his, his comment was, was funny where he said, my lawyer is more responsive and more accessible than he's ever been working from yeah. home. And I hope he continues to work from home uh, on the other side of this crisis, and I also hope the firm walks away from their million dollar a year yeah. lease in downtown San Francisco and passes those savings on to me and I think that is something that ten out of ten clients would take for anyone thinking about totally agree. you know what the long term impacts of this uh, yep. this crisis might be
1: whether it 's a corporate client or just you know somebody needing a will, I think that 's totally true. And um, those big firms, you know, we keep hearing about layoffs or a couple of big firms who've had to do layoffs. Yeah. Why? Because their overhead is ridiculous and they hoard staff. Right. And so it's times like this when they can look around and go, You know, that person who we keep in that room in the back that does nothing but print Mike's emails and put them in three ring binders, maybe we don't need that anymore. And I don't ever want somebody to lose their job. And I always say that um, when a law firm is able to let someone go or when someone has left, when they can replace what that person did with some form of technology or just more efficiency. I mean, that's what I'm after. I don't want people getting fired, but it's ridiculous for me as a client to have to be paying for that overhead, and and, I'll, and I'm not have, afraid to have say-
0: those people move up the value chain, you know, yes. rather than you know, printing emails and putting them in a binder. Which I've seen at law that's firms. That's a real by job. I don't I make these things it. up. I don't I make. You, you,
1: I yeah, never make up stories. stories about law firms. They're all true. They're all um, true
0: stories. I I, I I know you're right, and and, and yeah, the, if you pivot those resources right toward even you know client experience-focused things, what else could you be doing to right. deliver value to your clients? So shifting gears a little bit, Adrian, I'd be curious. You know, you've done many hundreds, thousands of technology implementations at law firms. You've been through this um, many, many times, and you've also, I think, you know, had the the benefit of seeing seeing um, crises before. You you live yeah. in Florida. You live in New Orleans. We love where hurricanes
1: here. Oh, we love you, them there too.
0: you you, you're in hurricane country you've seen evacuation orders force lawyers out of their offices Uh what what are some of your takeaways from those natural debt disasters in Uh terms of hard-earned lessons and and scar tissue that that you can share with our listeners around how to manage how to to prepare for a crisis like this but also maybe how to respond if you didn't do a great job of preparing and you're on your heels and trying to find a way of working well now
1: well, the first answer is it's never too late because the other answer is there's never a right time, right? right. So um, anytime somebody says to me, well, it's just not a good time right now. Well, find me the right time. So right. if you haven't started to change and pivot and restructure how you're doing, don't wait one more freaking day. Yeah. got to act. Um, it's true that I deal with a lot of law firms and again, these are stories that are told Time and time again, law firms who are technology enabled can pick up and go. So, you know, Renee Thompson, of course, you know, Renee. Yeah. And um, you might remember Zach Zero West, who was. the. Oh, I do. Yeah. So I had them come on and we actually replayed this podcast not that long ago where they had gotten Clio. Renee uses Net Documents and Zach uses uh, SharePoint and OneDrive for his firm. Well, they had prepped before. They didn't prep. They went to the cloud. So when the last one of the last big hurricanes came through, Zach, who runs an 18-person firm or so—I'm not exactly sure the number, but something like that—looked at his office and said, "Okay, everybody, uh, hurricane coming. I tell you what, we're gonna caravan up to Atlanta. We're gonna get a couple Airbnbs and B's, Bring your kids, mm-hmm. bring your dogs, bring your laptops, and we're gonna pick up and go." And they did. And they didn't miss a beat, not one bill yeah. didn't go out, not one hour was not tracked. Um, so I guess to answer your question is don't wait to be prepared and the best way to do that is to become cloud enabled. Mm-hmm. But you have to do it in a way that is secure and easy. So back to my four basics of you know what you really need which is secure ways of accessing, dealing with documents. Um, Client commun- secure client communications is something I just talk about all day long, and I, you know, so another thing to be prepared for is how are we going to share documents? How are we going to get documents signed? Please set up your client portals, and do not tell me that your clients aren't going to use it because you're the attorney, you're the advisor. Your job is to say we're going to use this portal because it, it's in the best interest of your information and your privacy and your security to do this. And, um, it's just, I think, you know what, if somebody were to ask me right now, what's the toughest challenge you have? It's that it's getting attorneys to adopt client portals, the cloud check. So we got t- that. computers. Again, check. I'm, I'm
0: going to take a, explain it like I'm five perspective yeah. on this. When, when you say client portal, what are you, sure. what are you talking about there? And what capabilities does it, does it give me?
1: Okay, if anyone has bought a house in the past four or five years, they have not done it via one single emailed document. It's all been through a mortgage company's portal. They will mm-hmm. do nothing over, in or over email. They don't even fax anymore. So if you're familiar with that process, that's one example. Many people today communicate with their doctors through secure client portals. Mm -hmm. If you want to see your prescription, if you want to see the results of your Quest Diagnostics results, you log in and you look, you can download the documents. Um, Banking is the same thing. Sometimes you hop on, chat with your banker. Um, my, My accountant, they haven't emailed or mailed me anything in years. It's all through a portal. So a portal is just a secure location that your client has access to the documents or the data that you choose to share with them. No, they don't see everything. I always have to say that they're like, what do you mean? Can they see my notes? No, duh.
0: Right. <laughs> that right. Would you, you choose what you share. Yep. You
1: choose what you share. Um, where do we get a portal? They are baked in to every single modern practice management program. You don't pay extra for them. Um, And you know, Jack, you guys have developed a really nice portal with Clio, so I'm sure you could probably add on a couple of tips and tricks there. But the point is, if your client can upload a picture of their granddaughter's quinceañera to Facebook, they can get into this portal. They can download their documents, they can upload their documents, and they can pay their bills. On top of that, when you really get into using the portal, oh, the joy of seeing a reduction in phone calls, texts, and emails because you train the client to do all that through the portal. So the the takeaway there is not only set up portals and start using them, but really show your clients how they work. Um, so a little onboarding process. I've had a couple of firms that I've trained, even the receptionist, because you know the receptionist is one of those people that you're like, uh, sometimes I need them and sometimes they're just sitting there on Etsy. You know, train them to take 15 or 20 minutes with every new client help them set up their portal and walk them through seeing how to send a secure message, how to take a screenshot of that abusive message from their soon to be ex and mm-hmm. upload it to the portal. Cause otherwise those documents end up, you know, stuck. What do you do with a text with a screenshot of a text message from your client? You save it to your camera roll. So now there's your granddaughter's quinceanera and your new puppy and this ridiculous text message in between your camera roll and your camera yeah. roll
0: and so on the just, on the firm side, if you're trying to manage all of this over email, it ends up getting trapped in somebody's inbox and totally. if they leave the firm, it's a liability you know and having this client portal where there's a centralized place for all your communications with the client gives you as a firm a singular view of what's going on with that client and And it's something everything. I want to underscore that you touched on is that this is huge value add to the clients mm-hmm. there there's a little bit of a learning curve. And I agree with you that, that a, a, a little onboarding session is, 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 is a great way to, to flatten out that learning curve. Yeah. But once they're in there, clients love it because they, they never do. need to call you or email you or hassle you for that will or that incorporation yep. document or whatever work product you produced for them. They can just log into the portal, see everything you ever produced for them. If they owe you money, it's easy for they them to pay, pay online with a credit card. So you get paid faster. Um, yeah. You connect, you know, I, I think what Jay Foonberg pointed out so well in how to start and build a law firm. When you look at that client satisfaction curve and their willingness to pay curve, it's at the highest when you deliver your work product to them. That's right. With one of these client portals, you can make sure that what, what's stacked right behind the work product oh. that you send them in the portal is the invoice to to settle your bill, and they're going to be more apt to pay that then than yep. um, than ever. I've even seen some law firms charge extra for Clio Connect on their really? uh, on their bills, where they, they just say, "Hey, my my client portal is X dollars a month, um, and that's a value add you get as a client of mine." And clients happily pay it because they they see so much value in it, which I think interesting. is an interesting. Approach. You know, what? I
1: haven't heard of that.
0: Yep, I, I've I've definitely seen it in a, a handful of law firms. It's not necessarily the way I'm I would go. I'm not sure how go, I feel about that. But for me, I would regard it as a competitive advantage. Hey, I've and got this client portal, and I you agree. get this as a value add for my client. I and I would I would tend toward. I mean, I'm a big fan of fixed fees and and everything. Anyhow, but I would I would just integrate it into my hourly rate and say, yeah. I'm I'm delivering delivering you a competitively advantaged offering here. Agree because i've got this this client portal but I agree. Um, client portals i think that's a great takeaway for uh for us to, to highlight uh in the podcast here and and they are a win-win-win they they totally. they save your law firm time they save you time out you know all of those countless unbillable hours and minutes that go into yep. servicing the can you please send me this document again kind of request you yep. get from your client and it's a win for the client in in that they and it's uh, secure. And it's secure.
1: I mean, to me, this that's just should be the number one reason. When you you know when when an attorney says to me, "Well, it's my duty to secure client communications." Yes, use a portal.
0: It's secure in some surprising ways as well. It's secure in the obvious ways, like it's an end-to-end encrypted communication using like technically, secure. Grade, technically secure, technically mm-hmm. secure. Um, which is way better than email, which is is not encrypted and Correct. and is not secure, right? Uh, and and very easily eavesdropped upon yep. uh, if you have somebody, you know, a, a nefarious actor trying to eavesdrop on your email. But it's an it's also ex,
1: an ex well, who has access to your email, right? Or a kid. I say this all the time to clients. I'm like, just think about 100%. it. You are representing someone who's in an abusive relationship, and their phone is being paid for by someone else. Well, if they've got a secure portal with a password on it, then... That's
0: exactly it. The the nuanced form of security is that it's Mm -hmm. a password protected portal that only that person will see the communication. And all that will hit their email is a notification saying, you've received a new secure message, but you need to know the login password to get to right. see that message. And, and it can so, have
1: two-factor authentication, even more that's right. security. It can,
0: it can be hyper-secure. And that's yeah. so important because there's so many, if you're talking about, like you said, domestic abuse or other family situations, there's often shared inboxes, exactly. there's shared computers. Totally. There's there's a lot of vulnerability and liability there that that most people aren't, uh, aren't aware of. Uh, so Adriana, one final question um, for you. Uh, this has been a great conversation and the, 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 our time has flown by. You've done many migrations to the cloud for law firms that go through this almost peacetime planned and phased approach and do yes. a transition over the course of weeks or, 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 or months even. And one way I've, I've framed the the response in the pandemic is talking about it as a, an evacuation to the cloud. We're we're making this, this emergency move for many law firms. And and you you talked about this seeing through the lens of the the San Diego County Bar Association, a lot of law firms that were unprepared for a crisis like this, that are making this emergency migration and evacuation from on-premise technology and bricks and mortar law offices to the cloud and to a distributed work from home environment. What is your advice to the firms that are or maybe not the ones that planned ahead and, and had cloud technologies uh, implemented months or, or even years ago, is it, is it feasible? Can you do it in, in a day or in a matter of days if you need to?
1: Um, it comes down to, the answer is you can. And then the two critical factors that I can think of real quick are, so my biggest speed bumps to a quick rollout and conversion. Yeah one is human and one is not. Um, bookkeepers mm-hmm. are always, always my biggest speed bump in getting a firm to move from one system to another, basically a non-cloud-based to a cloud-based.
0: Interesting. Um,
1: in law firms, what you will see a lot is whoever is the accountant or the bookkeeper was at some point a secretary, became an office manager, became a bookkeeper. So they're not necessarily formally trained and they're very comfortable in what they do and change is hard. So the hardest thing almost every time, because if a lawyer calls me because they want to move, it's because they want to move. But then I'll say, how does your bookkeeper feel about this? Right. And, I, and, and I'll go, well, yeah, that's going to be a problem. So number one, it's, um, and I hate using the word buy-in because you're the attorney, you own the firm, you don't need buy-in from the bookkeeper. You tell the bookkeeper that we're gonna to move to this new system. You're going to enable them with training to become just as good, if not better, at doing their job in this modern, easier way than before. So that's the first thing.
0: Yes, and, and I'll, then, I'll just plus one your yes. comment there, Adrienne. I've seen many uh, in implementation go sideways uh, over the years where the bookkeeper is the, yeah, you know, maybe for- forgotten stakeholder in the process, but also I think many firms um, end up letting the the tail wag the dog in it's the ca- in, in the sense that the bookkeeper should not be dictating no! what practice management system you're using, <laughs> but they should they should be a a valued stakeholder in making that decision and looking at the net impact for the law firm and and I I, I think the takeaway advice for me would be in, ensure they are engaged in the decision making yeah. process
1: and, that's and what-
0: I, also understand that they are maybe more change resistant than even lawyers might be when it comes to changing systems.
1: And it's not change. It's fear. They're afraid that they will not be as productive. The other thing I'll say, too, in their defense is almost every time they are the most loyal and the most dedicated person in an entire law firm. It's so weird. Totally agree, totally Um, agree. So that's always something. I think
0: that fear, by the way, the fear is two-pronged. I think the fear is fear of change but fear that the change will render them unable to do their job. And the job is a high stakes one. It's making payroll. It's making sure the book's balanced. We can make our rent payments, all of those. We can meet our AP obligations. Those are all significant needs. But, but again, you, you can't look at that, that fear and that resistance to to change as something that blocks something that might actually be a transformative tech move for your law firm in the same way that you wouldn't let the, the elder statesman uh, law firm partner necessarily block an implementation because right. they don't see the value in technology, for
1: example. It's really hard. Um, like the firm that tells me, my, they call and they go, our bookkeeper's retiring in about six months, so we'll be ready then. Right. Like they wait till he or she retires. Um, so anyway, <laughs> that's the first thing that's always, you know, okay, something a hump one. you want to deal with. And then the other one is the hoarding of documents. Um, So moving client matter lists, address books, uh, accounting numbers from one system to another, that's all easy yeah. Uh, because you're really just moving data around where my biggest issue is, is in document hoarding. So what I say a lot of times, my, my joke is that attorneys will keep a haystack in case they ever need a needle. They won't destroy, and whether it's paper or digital, but at this point, I'm mostly dealing with digital documents. Um, They'll have hundreds of thousands of documents. And by the way, they're all the same for the most part, except for some names and maybe some clauses and some numbers. So I think another suggestion I would give at times like this is figure out, do some purging. You know, figure out what's closed, figure out what's open, put things into silence. So that you can archive what is closed and you don't need around anymore. And then the other thing that law firms are really they don't get this part either is those documents are a security risk, right? Because if you have a data breach and you've got, you know, your documents become encrypted and there's ransomware, or somebody steals the storage, the network attached storage device that you know you have to take out of the office and you keep it in your car or you put it in your home, these are true stories, and that home gets burglarized and there goes, you know, your backup. Imagine having to send an email because the law is, because every state in the union has breach notification laws. Imagine having to send an email to a client that you haven't serviced in 20 years or that your father did when they were in business to let them know that their data may have been, their their private information may have been accessed by an unauthorized party. So, you know, if you don't have a business case for keeping documents and emails anymore, you have to get rid of them. And the other struggle I have is lawyers who say to me, my bar requires me to keep guess what? You better go look closely because speaking from my experience with Florida, Florida specifically the third largest state, as far as um, bar associations go, does not mandate how long you keep your documents. They tell you, you keep it for as long as there's a business case. There are a few, you know, like original documents, bonds, wills, but for the most part, your employment contract that you're keeping for a client that you haven't serviced in 10 years, you don't have to keep that anymore. So yeah. I think that's another thing I would encourage them to do is visit their bar rules today, find out what we can get rid of, come up with a destruction policy, and follow it. If you want to keep the documents because you think they'll be helpful to you, figure out a way to anonymize them and keep them as forms.
0: I think that's a super important point. Um, you, Many law firms, I think, bias biased toward thinking that let's just keep it but it's a it's a liability every piece of data that you're keeping is a liability you need to make sure is worth the carrying cost of having that liability yeah so adriana to close out have really enjoyed this conversation wondering if there's a final thought you'd like to leave our listeners with uh around how to navigate this this crisis
1: it's not that hard um I know that a lot of times in legal we feel like we're really behind and how will we ever catch up and I will just tell you right now every lawyer I've ever met is smart and capable. Um, Sometimes they're just stubborn or lazy and don't want to take the time to learn a new technology. 20 years ago when I would try to teach somebody how to use summation or time matters, I could see the frustration. Today, technology is easier, it's simplified, it's easy to learn, Um, it's much more intuitive than it ever was, whether it's legal specific or even Word. I have a lot of lawyers who still struggle with WordPerfect and Word. Um, It's just not that hard. So I really encourage everyone to, to find some time to learn new tips, new tricks, become modern. Your life will be better for it and your clients will appreciate you more for it.
0: Amazing. Well, thanks so much for joining us today, Adriana. It was so great catching thanks up for with you, me. and I hope to see you in person sometime soon. Thanks for joining us on Daily Matters today, a podcast from Clio. Rate and review wherever you get your podcasts, and subscribe so that you never miss an episode. Daily Matters is produced by Andrew Booth, Sam Rosenthal, and Derek Bolin, and hosted by yours truly, Jack Newton. Thanks also to Clio, the world's leading cloud-based legal technology provider, for supporting this podcast. If you'd like to learn more about Clio, please visit clio.com.